get your money sacks. Seriously, we're going to talk about money sacks and get to know Monica Rivera coming up next. Need a judgment-free zone when it comes to your financial life? Bienvenida to the Her Dinero Matters podcast, a bilingual podcast for today's Latina who typically thinks English but feels her Latina culture through and through. I am your host, Jen Hempel, and each week we have down-to-earth money conversations from people in La Comunidad Latina that will leave you with more confidence and inspiration to help you take control of your money. Lista? Let's do it. Hola, ¿qué tal? How's it going? This is Jen Hempel, your host, and today I honestly have a beautiful soul to introduce you. That's how I describe her, and you're going to see why. In this episode, you're going to learn about her mother's money stacks and what she learned from them, as well as the differences in her parents' money stories and what she took away from them and the role Macy envelopes played in her financial life. Let me share with you a little bit about Monica Rivera. She is a marketer by day and a podcaster by passion. She is the founder of You Wanna Do What, a consultancy and podcast that is unapologetically authentic in their drive to push multi-passionate professionals to explore new avenues. Lista? You ready? Vamos a conocer a Monica. Let's go meet Monica. Bienvenida, Monica. I'm excited to talk to you about one of my favorite topics, money. But it's all about you, lady. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. It's also one of my favorite topics, which makes sense that we're talking to each other today. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited. So let's talk. Let's go back in time and tell us about what your money story is. So basically what you grew up hearing, experiencing, observing that really impacted your perception of money and how you've handled money as an adult. Sure. So I grew up in the Bronx in New York, so big up to the BX. And I was raised, so um, my dad was born in Puerto Rico. My mom was born in Cuba. And my dad came over here when he was pretty young, about three years old, and my mom when she was six. So they were still pretty Americanized at that point. And so I grew up with a dad that was sort of very traditional, hardworking guy. He was a truck driver, spent a lot of time with like side hustles, and he was always sort of hustling to make some money. And my mom, also worked, but a little bit more catered. And she was definitely the princess and that kind of thing. And I would remember when she would get paid, which was every other Friday, we'd go to the check cashing place in the Bronx. She would cash her check. And then on Saturday morning, like clockwork, every other week, we would have two stacks. One stack was the amount of money that she had just cashed from her check. And the second stack was all of the bills. And this was probably from as early as seven years old. So I had a chance to see exactly how much money they were making every two weeks and then how much the bills cost. So at that very early age, I was able to see that everything had value attached to it, which was really important at the time because then I knew, well, when I switch off this light, it isn't just magic. There's actually money that goes to pay for this. And I really started to associate that everything in life has a dollar amount sort of attached to it in that way. And it was helpful for me to not become sort of this spoiled only child because I knew, well, I see how much money we have and I see how much money goes out. So it made me very aware of what I would ask for or maybe not asking for 
extra things because I knew exactly they were very transparent when it came to that. And to be honest, Jen, I don't even think my mother was consciously aware of the lessons that she was teaching me at the time. I think it was more, we'll just do this thing together. And, you know, my seven-year-old daughter's around and I have to pay the bills. And it was just a great lesson for me. And it also taught me to start making my own money. And I realized, well, if I want things of my own, I'm probably going to have to go get them myself. And so from very little, I bagged groceries in the summers, like when I was seven, eight, and nine years old, and I'd get a chunk of change. And sometimes people feel bad because they're seeing this little girl bagging groceries. They might give you a dollar or two dollars, and those are probably my favorite customers. And I would just save my money. I had this mentality from very young to save my money. I remember very clearly having this red envelope from Macy's that I guess like someone had given someone else as a gift, and I'd taken the red envelope. And anytime I earned cash or was given cash as a gift, I would save it in this red envelope and then hide it. My stash was in between towels in a closet. And that was the money that I would go to. So when it was time for me to, I mean, I'm probably aging myself, but to buy like my first VCR, I told my parents and they thought, well, we don't really have money for that. And I said, no, 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 I have the money. I just need you to drive me to go get it. But I've already saved it. And I don't think they were even aware of me saving that money until I first came out and said, I want to buy a VCR. Wow, that's amazing. And I wanted to ask you, so it fascinates me that your mom had literally really saw the different stacks of money. Mm -hmm. And because that definitely, I mean, that's amazing too, because no one, you know, normally, and what I hear in these conversations are, yes, some parents did talk to their kids about money, and others didn't, right? But what your mom did was give you that visual, which I think is powerful, right? So here's some money for the bills and here's some money for (laughs) something else. Mm -hmm. But I I love, love that. And then when you started putting money in that, I don't recall the red Macy's envelope, but then (laughs) it might've been after we moved to the States. So, and then you, uh, did you start stacking? I mean, you saved the money, but did you uh, from seeing your mom stacking money for different purposes, did you do that as well? Or did you just put it all in the envelope and one lump sum? So I put it all in the envelope and one lump sum. But then as I got older and I started to transition into becoming a teenager and then later becoming an adult, I would stack my money in a very similar way, which was to look at the bills that I had and sort of allocate the money that I needed accordingly. One of the things that was also very interesting because we didn't talk about money, and that's the interesting part. We weren't actively having a conversation about money. It was really just me observing what she was doing at the time. And then I also had my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, who was born in Cuba and very traditional, proud Cuban man. And he was all about saving, 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 saving. And I would think, what is this man saving for? He doesn't want to spend money on anything. Like he doesn't want to buy new furniture. He doesn't want to go on vacation. But he was very insistent of one day this money will be for all of you. And I remember him having just like a very protective, paternal energy about him. I don't need these things. And you'll realize that the material things aren't necessary, but we want this money to exist for whoever needs it later on. Love it. And being that your mom was from is from Cuba and then your dad being from Puerto Rico, of course, Cuba has its history. Puerto Rico too, but Cuba has this history of a lot of poverty, lack of money. So what did you see or observe? Granted, your parents didn't, you said they didn't talk money with you, but did you observe any 
differences in terms of, or maybe uh, discussions in between your parents where their views and perceptions of money differed? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So my mom grew up, so my Cuban side of the family was very privileged. So they were very well educated. They were doctors and lawyers. They had multiple homes. And like many people, when Castro came in, he seized all of their property, took everything that they earned. And so they lost everything that they had, which I think plays into the part of probably what my grandfather's money story was, which was save, 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 so that no one will be able to take this away from you again. And so when she grew up there, up until six, she was she saw all the beautiful things of Cuba at the time and had sort of a more privileged background, which I couldn't relate to growing up in the hood in the Bronx, but that's what she had growing up, whereas my dad grew up in the campo. And so he had a little bit more of a hardworking mentality. So they just came, I would think, if you thought of traditional gender roles back in the day, they very much sort of served those two gender roles. Interesting, interesting. So your mom was uh, brought up in an affluent household, then it was taken away, and then your dad was brought up in the campo, so Mm -hmm. he was working. I mean, the valleys were hard work, right? right? Uh, Interesting. And so, so you observed these things and you heard these things. And how do you think that impacted you? So what, what perception, um, well, you, you knew about the value of money, that it had some value. And what other things did you learn from those observations? So interestingly, there's lots of things that I've learned. One was for sure, I can go get this on my own. So it was like this mentality, I think, even from the supermarket job, no one said, hey, go get a job bagging groceries. It was something that I said, I wanted to earn my own money. I didn't want to have to ask anyone for money for a milkshake from Mr. Softy or whatever it was that I wanted at the time. I just thought, well, I can go get it. I'm capable and I'll see if they give me a job. So I think it was that mentality of just becoming a little bit more proactive when it came to my own money story. That was definitely one of those things. And even now, we say that we have different love languages. And one of the love languages is receiving gifts. That is actually the least important to me. And it, I'm and right it, there. You're and like it, speaking to me. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's all because of like my own money story. Like that's not what I want. I'm more of a quality time person. Like to me, that's like the best gift you can give someone else because, you know, we have a finite amount of time. So that was one of the ways. And then also, interestingly, When they were here in this country, it's not like we ever had extra money. We weren't necessarily scraping by, but there wasn't money to go on vacation. There wasn't money to send me to camp. So we didn't have a lot of disposable income. And I heard a lot of one days. And what I say about that, Jen, is we'll do this one day. We'll go on vacation one day. One day we'll go to the Bahamas. One day we'll go here. But those one days just never came. And they sort of lived in this future set of one day we'll have the money to do these things. And they never planned for that. And I was very aware of I do not want to live a one day mentality for myself. And so I have this personal model that I live by. And it's actually a necklace that I wear, which is love the life you live, live the life you love. And I've tried very much to practice that, whether it's a day trip someplace or going on, like saving for a vacation. And I'm not going on two-week vacations where I'm spending $10,000, but I am trying to carve out my little places so that I can see the world, so that I can go to a concert, 
I'm very conscious of making sure those line items in my budget are also accounted for experiences because I'm very much more experiences over things. Love it. And I'm right there with you because I did the same thing, babysat, so I can buy those mm-hmm. things that I, my parents weren't able to give me. For me, it was the tree-torn tennis shoes, the guest mm-hmm. jeans. Remember, <laughs> yep. the, and I'm taking, and I'm aging myself, but at one time, right now, they, the jeans are tapered down and they're skinny on the yep. bottom, but they had like little bows on the back yes. at, at the bottom. <laughs> I don't know why I like those, but yeah, that was the thing. And I say for that, and but I don't value gifts as well. I mm-hmm. value for me, if, if my boys and husband cook me, you know, breakfast in bed, I am in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> I don't need the flowers or the extra gifts. I'd rather like you, the time yes. is, is what I value or those little extra acts of love, if you will, like I mentioned, the, you know, picking up after yourself more or doing something that you don't normally do that I get on, right, <laughs> get, right, yeah. get on about you <laughs> after you or how, however you say that. But mm-hmm. I love that. Now, so you learned some things and that you're obviously your upbringing had an impact on you. What do you think? Uh, you've had successes, you've had challenges. Let's talk about the challenges. What would you say has been your biggest financial challenge? And then tell us about how you have overcome it or how you are working to overcome it. Sure. So I think of challenges probably a little bit differently than how you intend. So I can answer the question both ways, but I'll start with this one. So I think one of the challenges for me was that I grew up thinking I could not make a career for myself or I could not earn money unless it was all about the money. So I couldn't get a job that I was very passionate about in an industry that I was passionate about because I was told, no, you're too smart for that or people in creative spaces don't make money. And so that was sort of passed down to me anytime I thought, because Jen, I wanted to be a writer. I studied photography. There was always things that I kind of like picked up that I wanted to do. And I was told like, nope, you're not going to make money doing that. And I get it. It wasn't with bad intention at all. People sort of teach you from their own set of experiences. And that was what their experiences were. But now that I'm older and I'm the age where I am, And I know this is hard to say without sounding sort of like a cocky jerk, but I feel like I could have made money doing anything I wanted to do if only I felt a little bit more empowered to be able to Mm -hmm. do that. And so it took me a very long time. And when I say very long time, we're talking over 15 years before I said, you know what, I can carve out a space for myself where I can be creative and still have a business and marry those two things together which is sort of how I fell into podcasting. Love it. And in regards to that, did you hear that from your parents and family or those around you? Who did you hear that from that? No, you shouldn't do this. Uh, it's not going to make you money. You should do uh, something else. Because I heard the same thing. And, and I'm curious, it, do you feel it's culturally based because people come to the U.S. as Latinos, mm-hmm. like we come to the U.S. for a better life? Or what do you, you know, Where do you think this came from? It definitely came from my mom because I don't remember my dad saying it and and (laughs) no disrespect to my dad, but he was not like the most communicative father. So again, he was probably like, oh, whatever you want to do, like, it'll be fine. But my mom was much more kind of in the weeds with me about every step and decision. So she, my mom definitely was the person who would put in my head, you can't make money doing this. You can't make money doing that. and. She wanted me to go. It was like no secret. 
to go for very traditional careers. Jen, I was actually named after a soap opera character named Monica Quartermain from General Hospital. And I was given that name because Monica was a doctor on the show. And my mom thought, well, if I name her Monica, she's guaranteed to be a doctor. But little did she know that my personality is such that when you want me to do something, I do the opposite. So I grew up disliking science. <laughs> that is so interesting because I grew up in a similar. That's why I was asking the question, was it was it just in people around you? Was mm-hmm. it your family or who really? Because in my upbringing, I wanted to become a professional dancer when I was mm-hmm. little, but I wasn't given those opportunities. One, there wasn't the money, all that stuff. And then it was looked down upon because if you look at my family, my parents both were first generation college students. Uh, and then prior to that, um, you know, my grandmother had a hard time. Her husband uh, was abusive, alcoholic and left her with three children. And there's more to the story in terms of there was the money was taken away. And she had to struggle, she had to she became a seamstress. And that's how she uh, supported herself and the kids. And before we jump into today's content, keep your ears peeled for a unique reveal I'll be sharing midway through the show. It's something special just for you. My mom and my aunt and uncle so that's why I was asking because I think part, I, and I see some correlations where in your mom's experience, she had something, right? And then it was taken away, right? Right. And then, so maybe some of that educated portion uh, stuck in her in terms of like, this is what makes money, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then with my family, it was, well... My grandmother wasn't educated in that sense. She was life educated, you know, so Mm -hmm. no disrespect (laughs) to that. I find that so fascinating. So you've had that challenge of looking at what you've wanted to do. You're more of a creative and you've overcome it to now you're non-apologetic or unapologetic Mm -hmm. and you're doing it anyways. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Which I love. Yeah, no, thank you. And it took a long time to get there and to finally feel like I think I can do this. And I think there's something great about having sort of the business backbone. So I was an economics major. I've been in marketing for over 15 years. And that sort of gives you a foundation. I heard someone say one time on an interview that I was doing, you can always go back to those skills. No one can ever take that away from you. 15 years of marketing, you'll always have, even if I were to pivot to baking cupcakes, I will still have had the 15 years of marketing experience. And I just think that's like a really genius way to look at it, because oftentimes we think, well, if we pivot, then we leave everything we've ever done behind. And that's not really the case. We take all of those experiences with us wherever we go. Love it. What? And then my next question is about your money, biggest money win. What would you say that has been, whether it could be career-wise, it could be, I mean, you kind of alluded to that. It can be winning some money, paying off some, you know, some debt, whatever it may be. So there's two that really stick out to me. When I first started my career, I worked at Citigroup and I was working alongside someone. We had the same exact title. I just supported one area of this department. He supported the other area. And I found out that one day he was making so much more money than I was. And I thought we're the same exact title. We have matching corner cubes just on opposite sides of the floor. So what's happening here? 
And so I went and, and I was always one to, to voice concerns about things. I've never been shy about being the squeaky wheel because the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And I had the conversation and they said, well, this person just has more years of experience. And I said, great, then shouldn't he have a higher title than I do? And they said, well, I see what you're saying and sort of tap dance in the corporate speak. And when I was at that age, which might have been, you know, 24, 25-year-old whippersnapper, and I just like didn't want to hear it, I thought, oh, okay. And I went out and I started interviewing. I interviewed for a consulting firm, so one of the big four consulting firms, and I got an offer the following day. So it was probably like a week later, but then following day after the interview, and it was for $24,000 more money than I had been making at Citigroup. And I proudly went and handed them my resignation. And they could not believe how fast the turnaround time was. And they asked me, why are you leaving? And I said, because you would not pay me what I deserve to be paid to the man that I'm sitting across from in this corner cube. You would not give me what I deserve. So I'm going someplace else that does it. Good and so, on you. yeah, and I think that we don't, it's, it, I mean, and I understand it's a scary thing to do. And maybe part of it was having some courage of being in my 20s and feeling like, it's fine, and I don't necessarily have all the obligations that I have today, but it's still, you have to advocate for yourself. And in that moment, it was so empowering to be able to do that. That is amazing. And I'm so glad you share that story because someone listening right now needs to hear that. Someone listening right now, maybe on that same specific a situation where they're thinking, I'm making so much less mm -hmm. than my counterpart. But we're doing the exact same thing. Right. So I am so glad you share this. No, I love, I love sharing that because I think for women, and especially Latina women, and you hear about the pay disparity that exists, and it frustrates me to like no end. And I think, well, what can we do to bring ourselves a little bit closer? And I think a lot of times it's just asking for more, coming with your case of these are my accomplishments. This is what I've achieved in this role with you. Anything you can quantify, definitely try to do that. People love numbers and you also fighting for another number. So quantify whatever you can and don't be afraid to be that squeaky wheel. You don't want to squeak all the time, but you want to know your spots when it's right for you to squeak and never wait until it's time for your review to do that. Always squeak six months ahead of your review. I love it. I love the squeaking advice. <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned another money win because you mentioned two. Yeah. So my second one, I bought a place. And that was a big deal for me because I think I'd sort of lived this life of, do I want to put down roots? And do I, I felt like getting a place was like such a big deal. And I remember writing that check and handling it over with my handshaking, thinking this is the biggest check I've ever written in my life. And all my savings and here, take the check. Okay, thanks. And that feeling. But I have to say it's been almost nine and a half years. And when I walk into my place, I'm still happy that I made that decision. And it just felt great to be able to do that. And it kind of felt like my grandfather would have been super proud of me for those moves as well. So it was just a really nice feeling to have that. Yeah, he probably would have been saying what he was saying before. I'm mm -hmm. saving all this right. because it's going to be uh, of value right. later on. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. Congrats to you because that, that's an important aspect of life to do. I mean, it's not for everybody like we're currently renting because we just move so much. But it's if it's something that you know you're going to be in a place for a while, it might be worth 
your time to consider. And I love that you said that because that's the thing. I never tell anyone like, oh, I think everyone should buy a place. I actually don't think that at all. I don't think that everyone should buy a place. And even in retrospect, as much as I love my place, there's like pros and cons to it like there are in anything. But I think it was more that feeling of like, wow, my grandfather would have been really proud that this lesson that he sort of passed down and kept trying to drill into everybody's head, that it hit me and it landed on me. So that was like that feeling of, I think he'd be really excited about this. Oh, absolutely. And there was a recent podcast episode. I can't remember the name of the podcast. I can see the host because I've (laughs) met him in real life and I'm like, what's his name? But he was doing, it was a quick episode about he had purchase a condo and then he decided to sell it because he didn't want the responsibilities of being a homeowner anymore. And in that he basically decided to look at and then he started renting versus Mm -hmm. buying something else. And he looked at uh, he did like a cost analysis for his particular situation. And what even though he made a profit of when selling the house, how really in comparison to renting the home, there wasn't in this particular situation, mm-hmm. it's not everybody's, but in this particular situation, it wasn't too much above the line that he's like, hmm, it really didn't. Maybe I should have just continued renting right. and investing in other aspects. Because of course, real estate is one a way to invest, but it's got its risk just like any type of investing. For sure. For so I sure. love it. Now, the last question, and I'm just curious, I'm just exploring here. You're, you are in New York where there's a lot of Latinos and Latinas. And I'm curious in your circle of Latinas, does the topic of money come up or is it very taboo? It comes up, but if I'm going to keep it all the way real, which is what I try to do, I wish that the people that I know and the stories that I hear, I wish that we came from a place of abundance more than we do. And I understand all of the pathology, and I'm a woke person, Jen, I get it. But Mm -hmm. I still feel like I wish that we could just come from a place of abundance to the point that I would love to actually start doing small workshops to talk about this because I think we need these conversations like really like an open space where there's not a lot of people, but just enough to sort of really kind of get in there, like what we're doing today, Mm -hmm. to kind of figure those things out. Because I hear, I had a friend who, gosh, I don't even want to out her, So she's in a creative profession. I'll just say that. And she was talking about going to someone's birthday. And I think it was going to be like $60 per person that we had to put in. And this woman is in her late 30s, has been working her entire life, her entire adult life. And she was saying, well, $60, I'm not going to go to that. I don't have the $60. And I remember thinking, this is your friend's milestone 40th birthday, but you don't have the $60 to go. And feeling Like, how could I help this person? Why does this person think at this age that $60 is a lot of money? And I don't say that to be trite at all. I'm not trying to minimize anyone's situation, but it really is a mindset. If you think that $60 is a lot of money, then I feel like you are always going to think $60 is a lot of money unless you do the work around your money story, your money mindset, all of those things so that you can feel like that's doable. You know when her birthday is. You've been friends with her for years. It's not a surprise scenario. And you couldn't attend that birthday. And of course, I wasn't going to sit down and say, let's have a really big deep dive on like your money story. But it was just like those kinds of conversations that I hear a lot of. I wish people could just think you, their money is out there to make. 
let's just figure out how you can make it. It's there. Yeah, absolutely. And I I agree with you. I think in another scenario that $60 might have been like a great deal for the shoes, right? Right. Right. So it all comes down to priorities and values. And, and it was really, and sometimes, even though I'm sure her friend is important to her, uh, sometimes maybe some challenges that you're dealing with at a particular time are conflicting with uh, some decisions that you're needing to make. And I love that you're contemplating having that conversation because you're right. That was my next question. What were the typical conversations that you hear? And they're all, I don't have the money, right? Or this is too expensive or that's expensive. And I get it. New York is expensive. You have Mm -hmm. to, I complain all the time about the price of trains versus the service (laughs) and this and getting into a cab. And somehow I've just sat down, but it's $5 already on the meter. Like I get all of those things. And so I don't knock it. I don't live this wealthy, lavish lifestyle by any means. But I still try to come from a place of abundance when I think about money instead of the place of scarcity. And I've kind of gone through all of that and growing up in the Bronx and kind of going through all those different stages. It really is a choice that we can make. And we just have to get very honest with ourselves. And then once you're honest with yourselves, there's no place else to go but up. Absolutely. Well, Monica, this has been such a pleasure. I loved, loved this conversation, this frank, honest, raw and real (laughs) conversation that we have because it's so needed. And I loved everything that you shared about your experiences, what you learned, the conversations that you have heard and the challenges that you have overcome. I love that. So I appreciate you being on and everything that you shared with us today. Thank you. I just want to say for you, I appreciate that you provide this platform for us to speak so openly about money, to have these conversations so that your listeners can really think about it in their own lives. It's so much needed. You're doing great service with the world. And thank you so much for allowing me to share the space with you. Oh, thank you. (laughs) So what did you think? Isn't Monica fantastic? I hope that you enjoyed this episode and interview as much as I enjoyed chatting with her. To connect more with her, you can go to you'dwannadowhat.com. You'll find her podcast there. I will also link up our interview because I was a guest on her podcast, as we mentioned earlier. So I'll make sure to link that up. So I'm curious what your takeaway was from today's talk with Monica. For me, I felt it was interesting because I think I'm in that mode of really understanding or trying to understand and kind of researching, if you will. The differences in between culture and the perspectives on money. So I thought it was really interesting how the way she was brought up and the differences in between her mother and her upbringing and her father's upbringing and just how that played a role in Monica's life. So I really challenge you to really not just take a look at your particular money story, but I challenge you to may, if you don't know it already, maybe talk to your parents if they're still with you. Hopefully they are, but maybe or try to figure out what their money stories are. If again, if you don't know it and see how that correlates with your own, because I think the more digging you do into that, the better you understanding you have of not just yourself, but 
how you manage and you deal with money and maybe some of the habits that you have formed that maybe aren't serving you or those habits that you have formed like saving or being thrifty that are serving you. So I want to challenge you with that. Also, I want to remind you that starting in June, this podcast will be moved over to what is currently known as Her Money Matters. So you want to go ahead and subscribe to the Her Money Matters podcast now so you don't miss a beat. Remember that the podcast, as we know it, will still continue to be Her Dinero Matters going forward. It's just being relocated. So where it is currently is going to be in a slightly different place. And the release dates will be on Thursdays versus Fridays. So I just want to remind you of that. Next week on the podcast, we are going to be talking to Shauna Kabasnik, and she shares a similar background as myself, where she's Latina, but she's got an American last name. My maiden name, if you all don't know, is also American. So Should we share a lot of commonalities? So we discussed that. We discussed the different cultures and the impact it had on her upbringing and perspective on money. So that is such a great episode. So make sure you don't miss that one. That is a wrap for today. I want to thank Monica for joining us, for sharing all the goods today, for sharing her story. You can check out the show notes on where to find Monica at jenhemphill.com forward slash HDM30. And again, I'll be sure to link uh, our interview or my interview on her podcast as well. Also, que no se te olvide. Don't forget, if you love this episode, if you love this podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you share it with a friend, a stranger, a family member, a coworker, anyone that you may feel would benefit from this podcast. You really never know what's going on with their financial lives because let's face it, we don't talk about it. If we are in dire straits, uh, we don't talk about those things. So just the sheer fact of sharing this podcast or even just this episode could be that push, could be that inspiration for that person in your life to move forward in their financial life. So I appreciate you. I appreciate you taking time to listen to this podcast and supporting this podcast. Y nos hablaremos el próximo viernes. We'll talk again next Friday.